0: With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from 199 bedroom sets from 399 dining sets from two ninety nine ninety nine, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Candleley Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway, or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. to Talk Radio. Hey,
1: everyone, and welcome to another episode of True News and Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. How's it going, everyone? Happy Friday. Yeah,
2: a little little off our normal recording schedule, but what else to do on a beautiful Friday afternoon than talk about the Pit Panthers?
1: Ruining your weekend
2: before it even starts. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm expecting the sun to go down, even though it's 12.45 Eastern time and, and just mud to be everywhere. It's going to be fun.
1: Yeah, um... This week was, uh, was hectic on my end, which is why we end up here on a Friday. The MLS All-Star game was an unforgiving mistress, and I've been running to the ground. You saw a good win, though. Oh, I mean, for those who haven't been or seen a Portland Timbers game at Providence Park up there, I mean, the place is going to explode when, when MLS beat uh, Bayern. It's pretty a uh, pretty great game. Yeah, I've
2: uh, I've never been to an MLS game at all. I've been to one US MNT game. They played. It was in it was in the the contra up in Hartford, but I don't even remember who we played. Which is more more not 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 as much on me as just the amount of forgettable teams that are in the contra Caff, Although okay, pretty good performance. In the World Cup. World Cup.
1: Great, and as we said I, I think that we have you know a ton of momentum right now um, I think countrywide for for soccer and this definitely 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 um you know it's just another another thing we can point to as um as some great progress I mean Bayern didn't have their top guys in the whole time it was an exhibition for them, but uh they really they really brought in all the big guns at the end of that game um and it was just a really nice win overall. It was nice to see Donovan you know, pick up a goal like right before announcing his retirement and everything else.
2: Yeah, pretty pretty cool moment aside from the whole nonsense at the end.
1: I mean, I, I was not pleased. But that said, I was joining along with everybody else in the crowd, chanting USA ad nauseum as U.S. fans in general are want to do. <laughs> always. Uh,
2: it doesn't matter what game it is, or or what game it is. or even if there is a game. Yeah, no, just just in general, walking down the street.
1: Yeah, if you in any city, but maybe San Francisco, because I've tried it there and it doesn't work. Um, you can you can walk into any bar and just start yelling USA, and the entire bar will join in. Uh, always fun. <laughs> Memories. Right. But anyway, now that we've. Put off talking about Pitt for almost four full minutes. <laughs> the Panthers um, are not at all rival rivals. We uh, we're, we're well well acquainted with Pitt over the years. We play them pretty much every season for the last like sixty years, and yet still don't care about each other. Um, Dan, what's your uh, what's your take on this year's Pitt Panthers? It seems like everybody's uh, pretty high on them, despite the fact that like Syracuse, they lose some key pieces. But unlike Syracuse, they also lose their starting quarterback. I'm going to go ahead, and I think we,
2: I brought this up a couple podcasts ago. A couple, like maybe two months ago, I was really out on pit. And then I've read, you know, reading more about them and just getting prepared for the season. I don't think they're going to be great. I don't think they're going to win the Coastal. um, like some people say they can. Um, although the Coastal, anything can happen. It's a uh, total, like, Roulette spin, but I do think this is a more interesting pit team than years past, where they, you know, pit always just seems like their pit in perpetuity. And this team, I think, it either totally implode if the quarterback play from Chad Voigt is bad, or or whoever plays to quarterback if there's an injury or whatever. But they also have some really interesting still position guys. Um, there's the you know, I have seen between Isaac Bennett. And James Conner, who apparently is going to be playing both ways this year, um, at least a little bit. Tyler Boyd, really good receiver, um, a couple really productive tight ends. The, there are major question marks on this team, but I think there's just more, they have more interesting pieces than they seem to usually have. Usually they seem to have like one decent receiver, a uh, kind of mediocre quarterback who ends up always playing well at Syracuse, and some solid defensive players. This year, they had some nice runners. They have the receiver again, um, and then Voitik, I think, is just a huge question mark. But he he has a pedigree. He was a, a pretty big time recruit. Um, I actually thought he played more last year than he ended, than he actually did uh, for whatever reason. But he um, should be an interesting, and and I don't think he'll be that much worse than Tom Savage, who you know probably wasn't as bad as we like to joke about, but he did take forty three sacks last year. Which is pretty abysmal. Um, so a lot, I'm interested to see how this team is. Um, I don't think they're going to beat North Carolina or Miami, um, but uh, at least for the division. But being in the coastal, literally anything could happen. And if Wojciech ends up being a really good, you know, top half of the ACC quarterback, this team could probably, you know, push push that division if not win it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the key here is quarterback play and, and the offensive line. You know, the offensive line last year was horrendous. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that you, we all remember the beginning of that su pit game last year where, you know, like Bromley and the guys just bum-rushed them. <laughs> you, know, you know, Savage couldn't do anything with the ball, but obviously neither could Syracuse, and that's why we lost the one-point game. Um I think, you know, now they returned four or five linemen from that group, so it's a question of whether or not they got better, because if they didn't, um, this is going to be more of the same, and and for Wojtich, this is going to be you know, a struggle. Like Savage, at least, you know, he's played in three different programs. He pretty much had, like, a six-year career. Like, so he's somebody who understands how to at least, like, deal with pressure. You know, versus Wojtich, this is going to be his, like, first rodeo for the most part. Um, Dealing with a lot of that um, I think the skill position players um, are are definitely the key for this team. Um, I mean, Tyler Boyd seems like a, a star in the making, and and I think that he's really, really going to come on um, strong for this group. I know last year he was kind of originally put in as like a flex running back slot receiver, and I think what was it was, like week two or three, they made a switch for full-time receiver, and he just completely took off Um I think I mean, again he he's really gonna be key and I think, you know, he could be all conference um without much trouble. Um you know, th- this program just like us has a strong tradition of uh, the running backs. O'Connor and Bennett are really gonna provide, you know, a, a great rushing attack. They have a lot of, you know, really legitimate depth there and some three and four star um talent to continue filling in whether there's injuries or not. I mean there's just a, a nice stable of backs there. It should keep their running game, um, you know, fairly healthy and, and, and vibrant throughout the season. I, I do think that that in particular really does help Wojtich's, uh you know, progression because now, you know, even if we saw like with Terrell Hunt last year, because he had a strong running game behind him, he was able to make up for um, some growing pains as a passer. Um, and I think that Pitt, you know, they had better receivers than, than we did last year, but if Wojtich does struggle a little bit, they'll be able to rely on that running game pretty heavily. Yeah, and it
2: will be different for Boyd because he was the leading receiver last year, but Devin Street was really the guy going into the season that people knew about and probably a really underrated player, honestly. Um, and he was the one who always crushed crushed SU. Um, but Boyd ended up kind of becoming the breakout guy. He ended, ended with almost 1,200 yards, which is pretty remarkable. So now he's going to be really the guy. And the second and third leading receivers behind him returning are tight ends. Um, uh, uh, Manasa has Had a pretty nice year He had almost 400 yards 33 catches But there isn't that second True uh, bona fide wide receiver That's going to Take the pressure off of Boyd Like Boyd did for Street And vice versa So It is going to be on him To carry the load But he's he's really good So I wouldn't be too surprised If he uh, Puts up similar numbers this year Even without that um, second receiver to kind of uh, take some of the tension from the defense.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think when you have the types of, you know, breakaway speed as Boyd does, um, you're obviously hard to stop. I think another key of the offense is going to be uh, J.P. Holt's tight end position. Uh, I know last year, you know, he obviously got involved, um, and I, I do think his role is going to continue to increase, though. Um, w- what we were most confused about with Syracuse last year was, you know, if you have an inexperienced quarterback, a tight end is a perfect safety valve, we had two and yet they were very, very underutilized. Um so I think this year if if Gortridge has been you know taught correctly, he's probably going to utilize a uh, JP Holtz a ton, especially if he's under pressure. So I think uh you expect Holtz to definitely, you know, put up similar if not much bigger numbers than last year's twenty two catches and two hundred yards. I think he's probably looking at something in a forty catch 400 yards and maybe five or six touchdown range, um, you know, depending on what this offensive line looks like in terms of protection. Yeah, and he's a nice
2: big target, too. He, he sits four, almost 250, so not a bad not a bad
1: target for a young quarterback. Agreed. So defensively, and then I think this is where all the questions really come in. I mean, Savage was okay. Um, we give him a lot of shit. But at the same time, like, it's not like he was a world beater. Um, Defensively, obviously, the team loses Aaron Donald. um, But now, I mean, it's not just Donald. They uh, suspended Titus Howard, which I know we were all talking about when it first happened last week. You know, uh, starting cornerback along with Lafayette Pitts. But Howard is a big loss for in that secondary and, and could actually, you know, swing a couple of those of those games that we weren't really weren't really sure about, you know, what the Panthers could do, um, definitely, you know, creates yet another weakness in a team that really already had some questions in the front seven and now um, had some questions in the secondary too. Yeah, Howard's a big loss. You can
2: actually even point to the Syracuse team if he's – if he's uh, did they announce how long he's suspended for? Exactly. I haven't read
1: too much about it. Yeah, he's is, he is gone
2: full season. Oh wow, okay. So yeah, he's kind of a bigger corner than Lafayette Pitts. So he'd be a guy who could probably match up with with an Ashton Broiled, or a, if he you know emerges Twinta Thunderberg, or even Jared West. Syracuse has a ton of these bigger receivers. Um, now Pitts is going to have to take someone at five eleven, which is a mismatch, especially if it's against like a, a Broiled who's legitimately sits three and, and huge, or they're gonna have to stick Trenton Coles out there who isn't as experienced. He sits, he sits three as well. He's actually a really big corner, but you'd rather have the guy like Howard who, who's done it for a full season. So that, that, that is an interesting, uh, interesting wrinkle for this pit secondary.
1: Yeah. I think it's obviously interesting in a bad way, but at the same time, I, I think what we'll see here is, you know, we'll probably know what that secondary looks like by the time the pit Syracuse game rolls around. Um, They'll have whoever fills in there. Will have you know almost an entire season under their belts. Um, they'll probably have figured out how to how to go on without Howard at that point. Um, so, you know, while we can make a a big deal about it now, and it is a big deal that Howard's out, um, I do think that if they sort it out, it'll be well it'll be you know well completed by the time that uh the Syracuse and Pitt face off. Yeah. It also should be noted that their their
2: safeties aren't much bigger either. It's a pretty small secondary overall, at least at the top. Their their depth is actually a little bigger, but again, you don't know what those guys are. But um, now it looks like like, um, assuming Cole steps in, he'll be the only six foot starter in the back in the defensive backfield. Everyone else is under six feet, including both safeties, which is interesting.
1: Yeah. Do you think? I mean, do you think that that the way that this Secondary was put together it was kind of a product of how strong that front seven was and and just how much of a force the Donald was.
2: Uh, it could be. Uh, it it doesn't hurt that you have Aaron Donald up front. Um, and then you can uh, probably afford to put maybe more opportunistic uh, D backs back there because there are going to be more balls thrown up for grabs. Um, Ray pulled their free safety at three picks last year. Um, but they didn't have too many interceptions as a defensive backfield overall, so it could also just be because there was so much coaching turnover um, for Pitt a couple of years ago that it's just been a struggle to really get that identity that you want in the defensive backfield, or maybe they just prefer the smaller guys and that's who they went out and got. And
1: you mentioned coaching turnover. Um, now that we're in year three of Paul Christ, uh, do we think that do you think that this is, is kind of a stabilizing of the pit program? Is this, I know, like, a few years back, um, you know, they had that, like, 10, and what was it, 2009, like, that 10-3 and three blip, um, and, and then you know, things seem to be trending upward, and then suddenly things crash right back down to, like, six and six, seven and five seasons. Um, do you think things have stabilized the Pitt? It seems like recruiting is, is on the upswing, but do we think that Chris is always a threat to leave? Um, it's hard to know. I don't think Chris,
2: he's done a, a decent job, but I don't know that he's done anything that would make him an instant contender for a huge job that's much better than Pitt. Um, although well, you probably say the same about Yeah, and I don't think Gary Anderson's leaving Wisconsin anytime soon. Um, yeah. But but uh, you probably say the same about Todd Graham, and when he left it was a bit shocking, but he's ended up turning Arizona State into a legitimate um uh, Pac-12 South contender, but at the time that didn't even look like such a better job than Pitt that, you know, Pitt fans were obviously pretty distraught about it. So, I don't know, I wouldn't be too worried about Chris leaving, but I also don't know that Chris is a a really knockout football coach. I think he's done a good job. Um, I wouldn't worry about him. I don't think he's, you know, at risk to be fired anytime soon, but um, I don't know if he has the upside where he's going to be going filling like what maybe may be, a vacant Florida job if Muschamp gets fired or something like that. So I wouldn't be too worried. I think, I think he's there for, he'll, he'll be there for a little while. I think unless the team just goes in the tank.
1: So do we think that he's really, do we think that Chris is really no better than wants that? Mm.
2: That's tough to tell. That's tough to see. He's, Definitely not as good a recruiter, at least based on what we've seen so far. Because Wanstead, people forget, was pulling in top 25 classes in the Big East, which is kind of crazy. Um, and he was doing it without a ton of, like, next-level success. I mean, he won, what, nine or ten games a couple times, but it was also in a much weaker league. Um, but on the field, I'd probably say Chris is most likely better. I haven't watched enough Pitt to really see exactly how it was. But Wanstead was kind of a mess. In terms of just making on the field decisions, um, and Chris is, is a college guy while well, Wanstead was in the NFL forever, so I think Chris is probably more in tune with what college football is all about. So there are different, different, you know, give and take there. I'd probably be happier with Chris just based on what I know about Wanstead. He was a, re, I mean, he he cost them some real good opportunities. Although you could argue that he was also the reason for them because he recruited so well.
1: There. I think it's interesting. You know, you see, you see Chris recruiting well enough and, and getting, getting arguably like at average results from those from those recruits versus wants that recruiting at a higher than above like than a, an above average um, level and getting more often than not less out of recruits. Um, I think it's an interesting game to play. Uh, in in terms of you know what you prefer, it's, it seems that either way you're not you're not meeting expectations. But then again, that also gets to the question of you know what are expectations hit um, from an outsider's perspective. I would think you know I, I would think eight wins, nine wins. But at the same time, like I, I feel like Pitt's Sandbase kind of expects kind of expects more, and maybe that's because of those those you know not recent national titles and more recent national titles mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that you, you can claim multiple titles, I think a lot a lot changes in your fan base. You just kind of expect more and considering how few, you know, 10 11 seasons have been going on in like 20, 30 years uh, I, I think it's interesting to see that the standard for excellence still appears to be that. Yeah, it's an interesting one because
2: while I'm sure there are, there are heightened expectations as like part of the Pitt fan base, they're also in a totally Steelers town, and they play in the Steelers stadium, and you know it when you go. Like you, it, I've been to, to two or three Syracuse games at Heinz Field, and at no point did it feel like they were playing at their every week home stadium. It feels like they're almost like moving a game to Mount life for us. It's if they do it every game. Um, it just doesn't have that college football feel. It's never full. Um, or at least not for our games, but it wasn't even close for our games. Even when Pitt was was pretty good, um, and they had, you know, Lashawn McCoy and star players there. Um, so it, I don't know. It, I've always had a weird feeling about Pitt. They definitely have a ton of history, but it just feels like there's such a second banana in that town compared to the Steelers that I don't know if that helps or hurts what their fans expect. If their fans, you know, expect them to be. The college version of the Steelers, who win the Super Bowl all the time, or if they just don't care as much. Um, I've I've always struggled to get a sense for what what their their average fan base, not the diehards who are you know going to always have high expectations um, and be more in tune with the program than the average fan, but it always seemed like a weird situation to me.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. You know, I, I, think, it's a, I think it's a more extreme version of, of, of Syracuse. You know, we uh, obviously because of the success in the late 80s, you know, through the early 2000s, there, there's, a, there's a heightened expectation among the fan base. I mean, we're a decade removed at this point. But there's still, like, probably a heightened expectation among the fan base of what needs and should be happening. Like, what needs to happen and should be happening. Um But I think most of us would still be okay with, you know, an eight-win season. I think we'd be smitten with an eight-win season more often than not. Um, And I just feel like for Pitt, I mean, again, the titles are more recent, but at the same time, like, I wouldn't necessarily say that, like, they really should have a much different standard for excellence than we do at this point. I mean, in the 90s in the Big East, the conference belonged to Miami, Virginia Tech, and us. Yeah, you know, with Boston College coming on towards the end, and like along with like you know West Virginia, like elevating itself at, at various spurts. I just think, for the most part, like Pitt has not been a huge factor in in, in the, was not a factor in the Big East largely for for its tenure. And now, like in the ACC, like there's there's obviously you know a ceiling, a lower one for them because they're in the coastal, but nonetheless a ceiling. Um, and, and it's just it's curious to me. You know, what's, and like you said, it's it's hard to get a gauge on what that fan base really thinks. Yeah.
2: Although uh, it's probably nicer to be in the ACC, where at least, I mean, it's nicer to be in the ACC just as a general statement. Um, As I said yesterday, if there's anyone who now thinks we should still be in the Big East, they're just so out of touch with how college sports is that they're beyond help, um, considering yesterday's autonomy ruling, but at least in the ACC you have the excuse of, hey, we play real football against some of the best schools in the world um, versus the Big East where for a while there with Wanestad, it just looked like Pitt was repeated, repeatedly flipping on banana peels every time it looked like they were going to do something big. See, 2009
1: matchup at Cincinnati. I think the definitive lost that game, actually. Cincinnati, 45, Pittsburgh, 44 in the snow.
2: Yes, I, I do remember that one. <laughs> hey, Although the Pittsburgh also West Virginia's chance for a Georgia national champion, that was always good.
1: Agreed. I was thinking about uh, the autonomy stuff that you brought that up. Um, and what do you think? Uh, I, I, I think most college fans are in favor, well, most our conference fans are in favor of it. Um, you know, some people have brought up the interesting question yesterday: how, Can can the Mountain West or um, or American Athletic Conference ever get themselves into that group, or, or is this going to be you know the first of many many closed doors in, in those conference spaces? Um, I
2: don't see why the group would let them get in. <laughs> Like I, I just don't see what the advantage for the five power conferences would be to to, to water down their own um, ability to to make change. Because at the end of the day, like there are some really good Mountain West and American schools that could probably play with um, the mo- the power conferences, at least in like the middle, like Cincinnati and and UCF, obviously, and Boise State, but for the vast majority of those conferences are well behind what even the worst power conferences are. Um, Maybe not on a year-to-year basis, but just overall. So even if they were to get granted membership into the power five or whatever and make it a power six or power seven, those tools aren't going to magically become, you know, they're not going to magically line their pockets and start getting ready to, to pay players or, do whatever else is about to come from this autonomy stuff. So I don't know. I find it hard to believe that those conferences have the the overall ability. I think it's more likely that individual schools end up getting poached, um, which, as we've seen, happens fairly frequently. Um, But I I just don't ever see, like, a conference that half of it is Tulane and Tulsa and USF and Temple – becoming part of the real conversation. It's just there's not enough depth there.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think what with, with people that are talking about elevation are forgetting is that right now, you know, we're just getting to the, the first couple of years of the disparity between um, between these conferences in terms of the power five versus uh, the, the gang of five. Um, and, and you're going to see over time, you know, it might not seem as much now, but three, four years in, it's gonna be the schools in the ACC and the Big Ten and the Pac twelve, you know, making, you know, between twenty and twenty five million dollars and more apiece versus, you know, three or four years of of the UCON and USS and two lanes of the world making two million a year um off of off of like meteorites and things like that. and and you know, bull money and things like that. And I just think that right, it might not make an impact immediately, but long term, you're going to see that separation after after like a full cycle of recruiting classes, a four year stretch, um, and then once you get to the second four year stretch, you'll see like after eight years, the gap is just going to continue to grow and grow. Um, and you know Frank the Tank, um, for those who might remember his blog during the realignment, Palooza, you know, pointed out yesterday. It's going to be very like the power structure hasn't really shifted as much as people think in college football. Um, you know, at the start of at the start of the BCS, well, in, in the last year of the BCS, you know, pre Big East blow up, there were 63 schools with Notre Dame um, in the power structure, and now there are 65 schools with Notre Dame. The only schools that gained entrance were Utah and TCU. Everyone else, like it, you know, things have things really haven't shifted much, so people need to remember that. At the end of the day, like, the power structure is the power structure. It might be under different names and monikers and all that, but the power structure stays what it is.
2: Yeah, and people will cite, you know, some of the really good, like like TCU before they were in the Big 12 and Boise State, but for however good they were, they still never made the national championship, so I don't know how much worse things will get, at least Right uh, off the, you know, in the next couple of years, now I do think long term those schools are going to struggle if they can't find a way into the into the pick, the, uh, the discussion here, um, and I do kind of feel bad about that because I feel like football is more interesting when you have those Cinderella programs, and I, I I do wish that the playoff would get expanded so that we could, even if like the one team out of the group of five could get a an eight seed and and see what they can do against Alabama or Florida State. Um, I think it would be more interesting if they're still uh, involved on the periphery, and I do like the occasional game against those schools, not not when it's four games a year and the, the entire out of conference schedule. But I hope they find a way to keep the the group of five schools involved, so there's some hope for them to be in on big time football. And I think the playoff, as a general idea, does help that, um, even though four is very limiting. But um, I don't know. I, I'd be very nervous if I was a fan of those schools who had aspirations to play um, at the highest level because it's it's the the gates are closing a bit, even if it's not going to be any much different right away.
1: Yeah, and you know what? Like during the Louisville podcast, I remember talking to uh, Mark Ennis about this. I, I think I think the committee is going to be tested uh, right away in year one um, when it comes to you know how they're going to treat the the gang of five. And, and that's with the likely undefeated team, Marshall. Um, the the Thundering Herod face a joke of the schedule. Rocking Cato is a legitimate dark horse contender for the Heisman. I mean, this is a team that's going 12-0 and probably by a significant margin. Um, so it, it'll be an interesting question. If, if, there's, if there's only maybe, you know, two one-loss teams that a bunch of two-loss teams, like, does Marshall jump those guys? According to the if, if we're going to believe the playoff committee about training schedule, um, I don't think so. But I, I think this is going to be an interesting test in year one. Is how they're going to deal with with Marshall. I think most importantly, and, and I think that's going to set a, a very. I think it's going to set a very big precedent going forward. Like if Marshall gets shut out at, at twelve, thirteen, and zero, I, I, I doubt any that we see any uh any gang of five team in a in a four team playoff at least anytime soon.
2: Yeah, I mean Marshall has a worse chance than an undefeated Cincinnati, but I don't think either one's very likely to make it, um, even if they're undefeated. Unless they're like a bunch of two lost teams that are dead that are dead in and the non power conference stool has like a couple really nice at a conference wins. Like I just think it they'd have to really go for it and it's hard to do with how scheduling in football is. Like you can't just, you know, pop up at the end of one season and say, Hey, we're gonna be really good next year, let's go get, you know, two pack twelve stools and a big twelve stool on the line and really and, and make a push. Like you it's it's kind of a crapshoot because schedules are finished like four or five years in advance, or if you're Syracuse a couple months in advance.
1: Totally agree. All right. On that point, when we jump to beer, what have you? Uh, what have you been drinking, Dan? Um, nothing
2: too crazy. I, I had the the one that I've been having a lot of because the the bar I go to a lot near me um, put it on tap. Uh, Captain Lawrence's IPA, um, which is really good. It's it's nothing crazy. It's just it's really drinkable for an IPA. A lot of good flavor. Um, just a really nice overall beer nothing it's not you know too crazy super hopped but it definitely has you know that that profile that you want um so that's as long as they have that on tap until like the fall beers start coming out That's probably going to be my go-to for a while um and then i had a a decent amount of peroni which i think i've brought up Uh, it's not my favorite beer a lot of people love it um it's kind of a weird finish to me but i actually enjoyed it more than i usually do this weekend um And then I had a lot of really awful beer. Like, uh, I've probably had more Bud Light this weekend than I've had in my entire life. So it was was a mixed bag the last week.
1: All right. right. Um, I had a bunch. This is kind of becoming a common theme. Uh, uh, I was doing some trading with the East Coast, so I got to enjoy uh, my first bottle of uh, lunch from the main beer company. Absolutely delicious IPA. Really well-balanced. Um, it's a nice, hoppy finish, but surprisingly light at the same time. Um, all you East Coasters are probably much more able to get it than I am. But nonetheless, very, very delicious. Enjoyed some Cross Pond Session IPA from uh, Golden Road over here. Uh, one of the better beers they make. Um, and Everything else was uh, in Portland. And as most people know, Portland is a very, very big beer city. I had some excellent IPAs up there, uh, some other beers in general. Uh, Fort George is the optimist. Uh, again, kind of a departure from a lot of the IPAs that I typically drink that are more on the uh, hop bomb side. Um, it's very, very good beer. Uh, also had a very interesting one uh, called Nothing as It Seems from Good Life Brewing Company up in Oregon. It is a coffee pale ale, which sounds weird and is weird. Um, but if you see it around I and mean, you can get a taste of it, it's just an intriguing, uh, intriguing drink. Um, had finally had a gigantic IPA from a, a gigantic brewing, kind of on my to-do list while I was up there. So one of the first things I did was head over to uh, probably one of the best you know, tap rooms slash bottle shops they have, if not the best. Um, Belmont Station, and or immediately grab that uh, that IPA from Fort George. I drank on site, and then a couple of bottles of Gigantic that I kept uh, in my uh, hotel uh, refrigerator. It's was a very, very good idea. Um, also stopped over at uh, the Schiff's Brewery, and that place lived up and then some. Really, really enjoyed myself there. Met some great people. Uh, wait staff and bartenders were fantastic. Um, so I spent like three, four hours um, over there. I know I feel like I've mentioned Fresh Squeeze IPA on here before from the show, but uh, having it on tap is just a completely, completely different experience versus having it in bottles. I mean, I'm close enough in a California where, you know, they're, they're still well within the uh, right weight range. But Fresh Squeeze I had on tap was just lights out, like a, five, a five-star IPA for sure. And also, uh, I know I'm just rambling on about beer at this point, um got to have a uh Blackbutt 26 from uh Deschutes not a big like barrel aids I mean this was just a clean clean finish you got Um you got some bourbon but for the most part it was very much like chocolate, raspberry and pomegranate highly highly recommend Um you can still find a bottle of it I know it's not in production anymore but if you go up there they have it on tap again lights out
2: Stuff I, I've always wanted to go to Portland. I have friends out there now, and not not a lot of reason for me to get out there. But hopefully one day,
1: I would I would definitely recommend because I mean, in the back you have friends there is definitely a good thing. Because I mean, for me, like I i was staying downtown, so luckily like, it's kind of in the middle of everything. But even then, like you probably uncover even more like interesting places. Um Yeah, being there with with locals versus yeah, I'm just being there for work.
2: Yeah, for sure. I need to do like a whole West Coast tour. I've only been once, and it was to San Diego, which is not a bad place to go. But it was—I was like nine, so not quite the same. No beer for you that time. No, not that I remember.
1: All right, so I guess we'll get back to football. Um, Danny, you want to start us off?
2: Who is a uh, who's starting off with? Uh, the Delaware Blue Hens. Um, Delaware's, you know, they're they're actually one of the probably more well-known FCS teams. They're they're I don't know how they're going to be next year, but they're usually at least pretty good. But I don't know if they've ever beaten an FBS, and I don't expect them to beat Pitt.
1: Yeah, I think the you know the fight in Blue Hens just seems like feels like they don't play um, FBS teams much, so this is a rarity for them. Uh, Joe Flacco's not suiting up for them anymore, so I don't I don't see a win, though I think this is going to be an entertaining game, just for those who just don't see Delaware that often. I mean, they, they're always on the Sun Belt and Max short list, and, and I don't know if that's going to change anytime soon, but, I mean, obviously a win would probably earn instant promotion. This is really the Joe Flacco Bowl.
2: This is true. I forgot about that was a, a Pitt quarterback before he was a Delaware quarterback because he lost his uh or he didn't beat out the immortal Tyler Palco for starting job at Pitt. Imagine that'd be a fun what if not as fun as the what if of is Joe Flacco elite? <laughs>
1: The is-Joe Flacco elite conversation is is one that will go down in history, although the is-Eli Manning elite conversation is is starting to gain some traction. That'll happen with 27 interceptions.
2: Or (laughs) I think it was already happening, and now it's it's harder to make a case.
1: Well, that's the problem. See, Manning, if it was one Super Bowl and, and just all the other shit, the answer would be no. I mean, not that the word elite means anything, but the two Super Bowls complicates matters and, and, and removes him from the from the Dilfer-Johnson bucket, you know? Into yeah, he's definitely into the, into like, so. He, he almost isn't the far bucket there, and, and that's the problem.
2: It's also tough because I feel like some of his better years are the ones where they didn't make deep runs and people forget about them because obviously those two Super Bowl teams had the ridiculous defensive lines and, and you know, Manning had a, kind of backed into the playoffs with them one on his run. But he's had some other really good years where the team hasn't really come, uh, come through. So he's he's a good quarterback. I wouldn't say he's elite, and I hate this conversation. But um,
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> either way, I mean, he has two Super Bowls, so we are going to do? Like, he, he's won. He's a – borderline Hall of Famer, might get himself in with a couple more good years. Um, so, I don't know. It's hard to. It's hard for me when people complain too much about Eli Manning and, or when Giants fans complain at all, honestly. And I'm the same way. I'm a Packers fan. I've seen plenty of success, uh, not against the Giants, because they always beat us in like games. That. But, uh, yeah, like I try my hardest. i will complain about the Mets all day and Syracuse all the time. Uh, you very rarely see me complain about the Packers.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm in the same boat. I have, obviously, Syracuse is always a point of contention. I, I've, I've lost so much faith in the Mets there. I don't
0: even
1: bother complaining about them. I, I kind of focus my attention on on the more immediate Dodgers. Um, and then on top of all that, like, I have a Knicks team that is just a, a crime to have to watch and root for, and a Rangers team that, that recently uh, rewarded me for for my state. So overall, I'm kind of up and down. Um, I, I I definitely agree with the the rule of you know, two recent Super Bowls. I really don't have much to complain about as a Giants fan. But that said, with with the talent on the roster, the the team could be doing more. And, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah, at least our, our boy
2: Ryan Nassib had a nice performance uh, against the Bills. Probably his first decent performance in the NFL. But uh, like last last year during the preseason, I always felt really bad because. The offensive line they put rookie Ryan Nassa behind was probably the worst assemblage of offensive linemen I've seen at the NFL level. Uh, he got sacked about as much as Tom Savage got sacked at Pitt and at Rutgers, um, and he just had no chance to do anything. So it seemed like they finally put a couple of guys behind, uh, in front of him that can protect him. Um, and he had a, a pretty nice uh, preseason outing against the Bills, which, um, which I didn't actually see, but the numbers were good at least, and he had, had a big, long touchdown.
1: I still get to for method. I, I mean, we'll, well, we'll see what happens. I I like Man to get traded, but at the same time, you know, there's, there are no guarantees with but, but method, So. Oh no, I'm not really I'm not betting on it.
2: anything, But it's nice to see our guys do okay. Yeah.
1: All right, so back to Pitt because ugh. Um, at Boston College, uh, this one's interesting. I'm going with Pitt. Uh, despite the fact that it's on the road, but DC is going to test them for sure. And I think this is, and we've talked about this too. This is one of those games that uh, that, that resulted in the uh, week two buy for Syracuse. Is is the fact that we were kind of holding out for for that Pitt game to be thrown there or Wake Forest, and and instead we ended up with pit at DC and Syracuse versus the Fighting Irish.
2: Yeah, I hate that week two bye, It's so the it's pretty awful. And a Wake game, or or a pit. I'd pit, rather a pit later, but the Wake game would have been so perfect there. Um, nice. I mean, it's probably not going to be that much tougher than Central Michigan. Sorry, Wake. Um, a nice build up, but until uh, Maryland. But you know, what are we going to do? Um, I'm going to take Pitt as well. We've done our piece about BC. I don't expect BC to be that good. Although, early in the year, both these teams are, are you know, replacing a lot. But I think Pitt is more proven. And at the very least, their running game should be good enough right off the bat to get them to a win. I'm sure BC will put up a good fight, though.
1: Yep. At FIU, um, these are the types of games that we, as and they base, kind of said why it's in Syracuse scheduling. Um, heading down to FIU, I think it's a smart idea for Pitt. Um, I'm taking the Panthers here, obviously, but... Nice scheduling by them, getting themselves in front of some recruits that you know they'll want to go after. Granted, we're not having that much trouble attracting Florida recruits, but at the same time, getting in front of them, um, you know, is, is kind of key.
2: Yeah, I think we've talked about like this exact thing: going to play the FIUs, the FAUs, um, if not the, probably not the UCF. Want to avoid them for a bit. But, um, yeah, if you're going to schedule a road game against a week co- at a conference, um, Central Mission is not a terrible one, but it makes a lot less sense than a, a Florida a Florida team like that you should beat every time. So, good job by Pitt. They know what they're doing here.
1: And then Iowa. This one, this one could be closer than it seems on paper, but I think Iowa just occurred for empire. It just seems to continue to roll on. Uh, every time you think he's he's dead, I mean, even with that buyout, he, he puts together a, a surprisingly good season. And I, I don't know. I, I I just think I think Iowa's taking this one because again we talked about Pitt's lack of um, home field advantage, and I think Iowa can come in there and beat him. not by much, but but definitely pick the win here. So I'm going that's first loss. Yeah, I'm thinking Iowa as
2: well. I don't know how good they're going to be, but I do know that Iowa probably has the single most advantageous schedule in major co- uh, major college football. Um, not to co- diverge too much, but th- this is this is how they this is how their season opens. They have Northern Iowa, Ball State, Iowa State at Pitt, at Purdue, by Indiana, at Maryland, by Northwestern, at Minnesota, at L- Illinois. I don't know how good Iowa's going to be, but they might not break much of a sweat in an open 10-0, to be honest. And then they have Wisconsin that sounds, and Nebraska. That sounds, like, that sounds like 10-0. Yeah, like they're going to be favored in their first 10 games, unless they have – unless you're just not that good. But that, that's just an amazing schedule for a team that I don't think is going to be that great, but they might play themselves into a really nice bowl spot because those first 10 games are not tough. And kind of reveals like what the the worst of the big ten is because obviously like Wisconsin and Nebraska to end the year is gonna be rough, um, but they have both at home too. So Iowa is gonna be a A, they're gonna be a really crazy regression candidate in twenty fifteen, but B, like you can't get a better schedule in a major conference than what they have. You like their two toughest teams are at home. And the rest are all winnable.
1: In a world where Iowa goes twelve and zero, can they make the? make the playoff? <laughs> if Iowa goes, well, no, then they're going to lose to
2: Ohio State in the in the Big Ten championship. But watch, they'll make a really nice.
1: Watch Iowa loses to uh, to surprise upstart, <laughs> to surprise East upstart, um, the Maryland Terrapins. <laughs> oh my who God! If up, they lose that Maryland, they end they're not going, going seven and raised. plus. We go seven and five <laughs> and win the east because of injuries on Ohio State and Michigan State. Murdering the Big Ten's chances of championship.
2: Stephon Diggs touches three hundred passes and goes for four thousand receiving yards.
1: <laughs> and then C. In C. J. Brown time breaks Brown the Doesn't game. get hurt
2: and is
1: okay. Yeah. CJ Brown and Stefan Diggs break their legs in Garbage time because <laughs> the game's already over. <laughs> and and Maryland's backups head to the Orange Bowl to get slaughtered by Clemson.
2: Randy Eds will take the flight to Gaines, uh, to Gainesville right after the season ends, like within minutes, and for whatever reason, Florida decides it's a idea, Leaves because Maryland. Yeah, this is going to happen, everyone. Randy Eds will to Florida. Start <laughs> a hashtag. I don't think Spencer Hall deserves that. though. Randy Edsel is proud, is just he's just Will must champ, right? Like he's just a worse he's probably a worse Will Must champ. He's a he's a thinner Will Must champ. Yeah, he's so boring. It's 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 kind of unfortunate that Maryland has Randy Edsel as their coach. Because Maryland has such good still position players this year and I just feel like they're not gonna pan out.
1: <laughs> yeah, I actually completely agree with that. Uh anytime people just are like shouting about Maryland being a decent team, I'm like, well <laughs> I'm sorry, they're Maryland, and they're coached by Randy Edsel, so we're done.
2: Here. It, it's also, I, I get that the leaders of legends thing was really stupid and awful names, but, man, that East is so much tougher than the uh, Big Ten West. Like, Iowa, Wisconsin, and, and Nebraska have to be so happy, because they, anytime they're at, like, anything decent, they're going to have a good chance of playing the Big Ten Championship, because that, that division is so... It's a total cakewalk, like we just said. Like, after those three teams, those are the only three decent teams.
1: Well, I think it's very, it's very coastally. Yeah, it if, is coastally. If, 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 you look at that, if you look at that alignment, it's just, there's a lot of potential for wacky shit. But at the same time, you look at, you look at the Coastal, historically, over its 10 year, almost 10-year run here, the Coastal has actually been pretty consistent. Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech have won every year but one. That was last year. Meanwhile, Boston College has come out of the Atlantic twice. Wake Forest has won the whole goddamn thing. So, you know, as much as we want to hate on the Coastal at the same time, at least they've they've established a consistent bar of what's going to happen.
2: Yeah. like there
1: There are always surprises in the
2: Coastal, but then at the same time there are no surprises.
1: Right, like Virginia Tech, like their their way out of a trip to the the conference championship game again last year, and might just like trip and fall into the conference championship game this year. So I I think the Coastal manages to to find a consistent level of of success with just two teams, despite you know overall like looking like a worse like it's not their worst product. I think they're a better product top to bottom, but. You know, at the top, though, I mean, the number one Coastal team might be the third or fourth best team in the conference.
2: Yeah. Oh, I I don't know. I always wonder what we would be like there, but I don't ever actually know if it would be better. We'll see. Next year will be interesting because I'm assuming we'll be hitting, like, our, our stride in 2015 Clemson – Will be breaking in a freshman quarterback, which, as we have learned last year, doesn't always mean they won't be good. Uh, Florida State will likely be without Jameis Winston and will probably be, you know, reloading a bit. Um, so that'll be the year that we really see where we are. I
1: think. Great. So some breaking, uh, some breaking pit, uh, not pit news, but Maryland news, since you were talking about the Terps. Um, the ACC in Maryland officially settled on an egg block amount. Did they?
0: 31
1: million they and change, and, and the lawsuit's been dropped.
2: And it was, what, originally 50 million? No, that's not a bad. That's not bad.
1: Yeah, I mean, it would have been nice to get the more money back, but at the same time, I feel like it, this is so drawn out. Just, just leave that extra money on the table and and, and kind of. Walk. I mean Maryland's screwed either way because they're not going to get full payouts for a while over it over in the big Ten. yeah they're they're uh
2: maryland Rutgers are are it's going to take them a little while to get out of their financial holds, which I don't think their fans totally they have to understand. they have to know but they don't seem to acknowledge
1: yeah the, the state of denial is is, is just very weird. It's also been strange uh,
2: yeah. to me that, for whatever reason, Maryland seems like I don't. It's it, it seems like they're kind of forcing it, but just from what the uh, schools are doing officially, like Maryland's been so much more, like done so much more with its Big Ten entrance than Rutgers has, and Rutgers has so much more reason to be excited about it. Just at least in terms of where they're coming from, but I think Maryland's just trying to like double down on, hey, we're making the right decision, even though theirs is is so much. Uh, their decisions so much less obvious.
1: Yeah, no, completely true. Um, yeah, getting back to Pitt, you know, we've kind of we we've been especially tangy in the past like twenty minutes. Yeah, it's, it's, this this schedule is a
2: uh, schedule is not all that exciting, but uh, <laughs> no, this is actually one of the more we, lackluster schedules we've it's next opponent, the fight in Akron zips so we are very coming at you we are very familiar with
1: yeah in, uh, the Akron fight zips they uh, i mean i well the game that shall not be talked about <laughs> was a thing that happened, and I hope we never play Akron again. Um Akron is actually, uh, since Terry Bowden showed up, seems like they're actually putting something interesting together. I mean, not like in the big scheme of things, just in the Mac scheme of things, where anything can happen. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of turnover right now, um, in the Mac, and I would doubt it if Akron tries to contend for a Mackey's title. That said, um, Pittsburgh is still head and shoulders better than them. So, win the Panthers.
2: Yeah, totally. Atrins just... They're Atrin. <laughs> they, uh... At they obviously have some fancy jerseys this year, so they have that going for them. I did
1: see those, actually. I like a. Uh, at Virginia. Now we have...
2: At Virginia. Speaking of teams that aren't very good.
1: Um... You know what? Like at UVA provides an interesting wrinkle here, but I think that UVA's lack of an offense is just—it's it, enough to to create speed bumps for them in games like this, where otherwise it might be fairly even on paper. So I'm going, I'm going Pitt, which puts them at what five and one, inexplicably.
2: Yeah. I'm thinking Pitt as well. Um, I feel like it's going to be a really ugly game. Um, Virginia's defense is, is interesting. Pitt's offense is interesting. Um, and on the other end, I think Pitt's defense isn't nearly – I mean, I don't think Pitt's defense is going to be that bad. I just don't think it's that great. But Virginia's offense, as you said, just is completely non-existent. So I could totally see this being like a 13-7 to win. I could also see this being a really funny Pitt loss, but I'm not going to bet on it.
1: And Virginia Tech, uh, it's pretty light October for, for Pitt, which is smart on their part. Um, it's a home game, but again, home games don't matter for Pitt. Um, Virginia Tech also has a lack of an offense, but their defense is so much better than Virginia's. I think that will be enough to counteract. I'm going with the Hokies, though so I'm not. I can't say I'm sold on that pick, though.
2: I'm not sold in anything. It's the toastal. But, uh, I agree. I had the same thoughts when I was looking at this. Um, it's actually kind of funny that Virginia and Virginia Tech are like kind of similar teams, just one is just a much better version of the other. Um, with a good coach as opposed to a really awful coach. But, uh, yeah, Virginia Tech I think will go up there and beat Pitt. Um, again, this will probably be an also really ugly. Like, this is going to be an ugly stretch of football for Pitt, win or lose.
1: Which, yeah, which brings us to, speaking of ugly uh, <laughs> Georgia Tech at home um, We've covered how unimpressed we are with the jacket But the triple option always presents some sort of weirdness um, That said, I'm going with Pitt Grudgingly giving them a uh, full eligibility Before the end of October Yeah, I'm
2: doing the same I think Georgia Tech, I believe, beat Pitt last year, but Pitt certainly handled it a lot better than we did. They, Yeah, it was a 21-10 Georgia Tech win. I think Georgia Tech's a lot worse than last year, uh, or at least have more questions. I yeah, I think Pitt should be at least around the same as they were last year, if not a little better. Um, so I'm going to take Pitt. Uh, again, probably not yeah. the, the most exciting game, but unless – they forgot how to defend the triple option from last year. Um, I'm pretty confident Pitt's a better team. I'm great. Uh, November,
1: Duke, um, are we going to see a replay of last year's 58-55 to 55 shootout? I hope so. Probably not, though. I mean, both teams are worse defensively and Pitt's better offensively. Yeah, I I like
2: Duke um, just because this was also really early in the season last year. So Duke was still trying to figure out what it was. It was week three. Um, And, again, they still put up 55 points. So I'll take Duke. I think Duke is probably more set in in what it's going to do this year than Pitt is. Um, And I just think they're going to be a better football team.
1: Hmm. At home. I don't know. I think I'm gonna go with I think I went with Duke here. Just because of the uh the fact that Anthony Bloom is an experienced quarterback. I think they still have, you know, a, a great group of playmakers on offense. I'm going with the Blue Devils. Uh just to not pit down a peg. Yeah.
2: For as easy as the spit schedule was up to this point, this is not an easy November for them.
1: This is actually um I feel like kind of Sleepwalking through the beginning of the season. This, this, this is where uh, this is where the reckoning happens.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like a market correction November because they could, and I might predict them to go zero and four uh, in this last stretch. Which nothing they made that bowl early. Such a pit thing to do. <laughs> um, so yeah, they're at UNC. The following week, which I definitely have them losing. I think UNC is probably the best team in that division.
1: Same. I mean, North Carolina's home field is, is not exactly, you know, a, a daunting place to be. Um, that said, I, I, I do enjoy Keenan Stadium, and I do think that North Carolina is the team to be in the Coastal right now. Um, so I, I've got the heels. I think it's going to be an offensive battle because I. North Carolina and Pitt both have some places on defense. So high-scoring game, Carolina wins. Hopefully this is is kind of a showcase game Um, in prime time, though I don't necessarily think that America should be subjected to UNC versus Pitt um, when it can easily fill in any slot from noon to 3.30 just as easily. I agree. (laughs) Syracuse. Wonder what that team's all about.
2: I don't know. We should. I wish there was a website where we could learn about Syracuse.
1: I know. I, I found this website about magicians though, and there's there's oranges all over the place. I think that might help.
2: No, probably not.
1: So the um, uh, the Panthers get to host the uh, number one party school in America in late November in uh in in the latest iteration of the non-rivalry rivalry. I feel
2: like it's a really bad idea to take Syracuse in this game, just because <laughs> we... I, have we won in Heinz Field recently? No. Especially we have. I feel like all of our wins... I can't remember that. I don't think we've won there since, like, 2004. I'm going to look this up. Um, I, I hate taking Pitt in this game... But I'm gonna do it. I think just if anything, just to avoid looking like a total homer. Um, by the time the week comes, I could totally be going, you know, back in the bandwagon. Uh, it just feels like like SU is not gonna win every close game. It should and Pitt is so familiar with us. Um, and that game last year was very disheartening. And it's on the road. I think the road thing, as as little as it it you know as as unimpressive as Heinz Field is, we just don't win there. So I'm going to take Pitt and, uh, yeah, leave me all the – you can tweet me uh, how I'm an asshole about that, so go for it. I don't care. Um, I deserve it for taking – for going against my my guys. I just feel like Syracuse is going to drop one of the games that it's going to feel really awful about. Even if we have a pretty decent season, it seems like it always happens. Um, And this is probably going to be the one. The
1: Dan's a disloyal idiot. As we've uh, as we've learned, I'm going to go check out the last time we beat Pitt at home. I was
2: looking because I was so used to it being just back and forth. I was like, oh, we beat Pitt in 2012. And then I realized that Pitt got a job that had to throw the dome two years in a row. <laughs>
1: yeah, this is, uh, yeah, I was right, 2004. Yeah, in we beat overtime. 38 to 31 in overtime, which is, which is fun. Um,. Was that a home game? The site i mm-hmm. doesn't say. That's stupid.
2: I'm watching. This is great radio, I know. Yeah. Uh, was, uh, that was... Oh, that was at the dome.
1: <laughs>
2: Jesus Christ. <laughs>
1: when was this? When did we beat Pitt at Heinz Field? Hold on. I'm, I'm going to find out. I, I have to say... I, I just need to...
2: I, well, I have right, the I usually at some point between 2001 and 1991 because we beat Pitt every year during that stretch, which is unbelievable.
1: Well, it's almost as unbelievable as having beaten us every year but one in the stretch policy. Oh.
2: Yes. Well, what are you going to do?
1: We're like that unbelievable stretch when West Virginia dominated us, followed by, despite the fact that West Virginia was still considered the higher profile program. In the following years, the fact that we just you know blew the doors off then. Yeah, two thousand
2: one, yeah. Syracuse went to pit and won forty two to ten. Yep, and finished the year ranked fourteenth yeah. and and three and did really good yeah, things.
1: But, but that was yeah, That was in Heinz Field, though. We never beat the Heinz Field. Yeah.
2: yeah, that was the last time we have won. Syracuse has won a football game at Heinz Field was two thousand and one which, oh well, yeah, Heinz Field wasn't at Heinz Field 2004. Oh, this, uh, I'm looking at Wikipedia. It says it was at Heinz Field. Oh, yeah, you're right. It was 2001. So that was, like, one of the first games there. Yeah.
1: we that This is bizarre. <laughs> yeah. We beat them in 2001. That was the only time we won there. Um, And then we beat them on the road in 99, 97, 95, Ninety three, ninety one, 91, and then we lost
2: from 83. Yeah. Actually, that's yeah. that even longer. From
1: 1984 to
2: 2001, Pitt beat us in 89 and tied us in 90, and Syracuse won every other one of those games. That's what I mean. Like, with pitch. And then before that, Pitt won every game from 73 to 83. Like, this is a... This is what a stupid series.
1: <laughs> well, this is like
2: kind of At least, like, the last couple of years, we've had pretty good games. Uh, One-point games each of the last two. Um, yeah. Which...
1: But overall, like, this is a close series that nobody cares about because we won 31, they won 35. But there's been so many long stretches of one team dominating the other that it's not even worth it.
2: Yeah. I'm like below too. Like most games, weren't even close. I
1: am going with Syracuse just because I think a I think I think Pitt's advantages this year um, balance out with their advantages from last year that they no longer have. Um, I think Syracuse is a better team now than they were last year, um, and I think Pitt got very lucky to win that game if it hadn't been for uh, missed extra point, or if the team had just poiled a goddamn play when they were supposed to. Um, in one of the most miserable losses I've watched, and I've seen a lot of miserable losses for this team, um, I think Syracuse would have came out with a win, so I'm going with the orange to pull it off here, uh, sending the Panthers their third straight defeat. You're, you're a better man than I.
2: Maybe to the- I had to really... Myself Syracuse, but I, I really don't feel good about it. I, I I think and hope Syracuse should be a more complete team, but I don't know. It just felt weird, A, taking Pitt to lose four games in a row, and B, Did it, though? automatically taking us every time I feel like we should win a game or could win a game. But I don't know. know
1: either Does it way. really feel weird taking Pitt to lose four games in a row? V- good point. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm looking at. I'm looking at recent things. Let's see. No, no, You might be right. Um, Pitt has not lost four games in a row since 2007. Yeah, but, I so, mean, they've still done
2: weird and dumb things. So They might not right. have done exactly that, but they've done similar. They've had similar stretches.
1: Like two years ago when... They lost two, one, two. Lost two, one, two. Lost two, one, two, and then lost one. The yeah, that's game. like a fourth grade math class problem. Like, actually, no. And then they, they lost the next- Florida State. <laughs> and they lost the Florida State to tip trip off 2013. So the pattern actually continued into September of the following year. Yep. All Pittsburgh. All roads lead to Alabama.
2: So and that's the Birmingham. <laughs> okay. Birmingham. Last year was such a letdown, so they didn't go there. I, they'll be back to the Birmingham Bowl. You, you can't avoid it if you hold on. It's like lost. Like, the plane's eventually going to crash again.
1: Yeah. Although, you know what? I think we have a similar, I mean, it's a better location, but at the same time, like, using the pinstripe balls. It kind of seems like preordained if we finish, like, with seven wins.
2: Yeah, but that's partially because we're from New York and we'll bring fans. There's no reason for Pitt to go to Birmingham, except that they always go to Birmingham. Like, I don't think there's a huge I – mean, maybe there is now. Maybe there's a bunch of, like, kids that have grown up on Pitt football in December. But, like, other than that, Pitt and Birmingham don't have anything in common.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, we could be balling for Bitcoin this year, for all we know. I'm so down. <laughs> I really, I really want us in the belt Bowl because that would be great too. Well, so it depends depends on the day because I'm headed. I'll be in North Carolina, so if they're in the belt, I, I will definitely find myself there. Yeah,
2: uh, that that would be great. That's a really good situation, I think.
1: Okay. All right, so before people like just stop listening. Uh, at miami, um I think I think Brian Williams are not miamis still a seven eight win, can still win seven or eight games this year. um I think Williams will be back at this point so i've I've got the canes it's on the road. Tessa going to be reeling after a really brutal November. Um, this knocks him down to six and six and, and a very likely trip to birmingham <laughs> at at this point. So I am going with the canes here. I just think there's too much speed to for Pitt to compete with, even if there are questions for Miami on these even at the ball.
2: Yeah, as long as Miami's relatively healthy, they should be pit. Um if Duke Johnson's around, I think they will be pit no matter what. Um so yeah, I feel comfortable taking them. Alright.
1: So you say seven and five, I say six and six. Still sounds like a pit football season to me. Yep. And I guess we'll, uh, guess we'll cap it there. And, let's, Dan, do you have any parting shots you'd like to share with people? No, uh, we're almost
2: we're almost there. Um, just a couple weeks left until football. I'm very excited. Uh, so, yeah, everyone. I mean, we have a couple more weeks until we really have to hammer this home. But get out to that villain game if you can.
1: Sounds good to hear that people attendance. This is this is kind of a prerequisite of being a fan. Attendance. Um, my only excuse for not being at every home game, in fact, I live 3,000 miles away, that said, I try to get to one road game a year. Um, I'm not saying you need to do that as well, but at the same time, if you're in the area and, and can swing it, um, support the team, more attendance means more attention on the team, um, means that when you look through certain preview magazines, you don't see really terrible attendance figures for us. Um, and obviously, if you're a player, it's more fun to play in front of the home crowd it's boisterous rather than a home crowd that feels cavernous and not there.
2: Yes. Yeah, I agree.
1: All right. So on that note, I'm um, John. That was Dan. Uh, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, TalkShoe, rate the podcast, and... Um, no, not TalkShoe, sorry. I used to be on TalkShoe. Black Talk Radio. I suck. <laughs> if you go to Block Talk Radio, subscribe there. You can subscribe on um, iTunes. Rate us, please, Um I'm going to be doing a lot more of these late, uh, recently. We're trying to push some more content. If there's any podcast ideas that you might have, um, things you want to hear about, uh, we'll probably be sending out some notes before we hold them from now on just to, to cover up on topics that the fan. Thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, see you next week. Yep, have a good time.
0: At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion, and once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.